and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, I've got good friend of the program, Jovan Bua, here. We're going to talk a little bit about the Pacers deciding to potentially explore some trades for some of their core pieces. And then we're going to talk about the team that Jovan covers, the Los Angeles Lakers, who are 12-12 and and in the midst of one of the weirder seasons that I can remember, I feel like. Before we dive in with Jovan, I just want to remind everyone here, please go subscribe to the YouTube page. You can find it at Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini on YouTube. Uh, We have like 650 followers. I just started this fucking thing like five days ago. I'm blown away with the response that you guys have been willing uh, to subscribe and to spend your time just clicking that button. Thank you so much. But... Let's talk to Jovan now, who I'm really excited. Jovan has a new project starting up. I don't think he wants to get into it, but uh, I'm excited to be able to promote Jovan's thing soon. Jovan, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Yeah, uh, new project, Stargazing, coming out, NBA Culture Podcast, uh, talking to different figures and influencers uh, that are around NBA superstars. And I think these are people that uh, don't necessarily get the shine that they deserve and some of them you you've seen before, some of them you haven't. But uh, I think it's it's something that I'm I'm really passionate about. I've been working on for a couple of years now. Uh, so that launches December nineteenth. So be on the lookout for that. When Jovan says he's been working on this for a couple of years, like it's not an exaggeration. Uh, I remember <laughs> going out to dinner with him and Jack Appleby. Shout out Jack. Uh, <laughs> seriously, two and a half years ago, probably. And you said yeah. that like this is something you really wanted to do wanted to do, you really wanted to dive into and you thought it was a really good idea. And I feel did you even like record a couple things? Like I felt like you were if you hadn't recorded, you had like booked a couple things. Yeah, I, I was looking into studios, I, I had had some meetings, uh I had a forty plus person guest list that I I, had, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start talking to people. And I had talked to some people and, and they yeah. were on board with it. If we did go ahead with it, um, it was just, just a timing thing. And, and um, you know, it, it's hard to launch a podcast and you know, the, it's as you know. And um, so there's a lot that goes into that. And uh, I just ended up that this was the right time to do it. Uh, we, we have a culture vertical where it, it makes sense to place it. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I think we, we've already recorded three interviews, and I think some some of the stuff is is really powerful and incredible, and um, I think it's going to be a really interesting listen for people. Keep on the lookout for stargazing when it goes live. I think that Jovan is going to try and do like a full first season, and then uh, kind of see where it stands after that. But. Let's talk about some basketball. So the Indiana Pacers, it was reported earlier today by The Athletic, I believe that it was Shams that uh, originally reported this, that they are finally willing to explore some moves for their uh, core pieces, including Damanis Sabonis, Miles Turner, and Karis LeVert. Remember, Malcolm Brogdon actually can't be traded over the course of this season before the trade deadline because he signed a two-year, $45 million extension back in October. But most of the rest of this roster seems to be fair game at this point. And I'm fascinated by what's going to happen with the Pacers because this is a team that has started 10 and 16. I, I mean, look, man, like, I, I, I'm sorry to Pacers fans, but, like, this is just kind of a boring team right now. Like, they, 
I don't know what the direction is, and that is concerning. I guess we'll start with concerning. Uh, it's kind of felt like they're trying to contend with a group of players that are paid somewhere between 17 and $24 million. Uh, all of their core pieces are between that number. Uh in an NBA era where more and more you look at the best teams around the league, the Nets, the Lakers, the Bucks, these teams have salary structures where they have like two or three max guys and then the rest of the roster is somewhere between $5 million and the minimum with maybe one guy in the middle there. So for the Pacers to be trying to compete with just a bunch of middle-tier guys... It just has capped their ceiling for so long, and frankly, the product just feels a little bit stale at this point, right, Jovan? Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, for, first, I would I would say they're they're worse than I thought they would be. I thought they'd be kind of around five hundred and maybe battling for that seven eight seed or at least you know the, the playing tournament, which they could still get to technically. Yeah. Uh, but I think it. It what's interesting to me is if you look at the history of the Pacers. Uh, under their ownership they're always like a bad season for the pacers is like 35 37 wins like they have just consistently been a solid team that like at worst is maybe a little bit under 500 at best is you know we've seen some really good pacer teams through the years um the the malice at the palace team i I think had a legit shot to win the championship right yeah it did uh but we you know the paul george era and uh you know so on and so forth so the Pacers have, have kind of been like the the Utah Jazz of the East, where they're a you know small mid market team that uh, can just consistently wins and consistently puts out a playoff caliber team. Uh, and you know, I think on the one hand, that's been great if you're if you're a Pacers fan, right? Because you you know they, they don't really believe in tanking and, and they haven't tanked, and uh, they they just kind of are always in that mix of um, you know maybe the, you know they, they have a late lottery pick and, and they add some talent. Uh, in a Paul George, in a Miles Turner, stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, they're just kind of this consistent team that uh, is just sort of rebuilding while still being solid. But I, I do think they have obviously hit a, a ceiling, and it's like what what is? Uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to contend when you don't have a top, really a top ten player, right? Like, yeah. but even stretching that out to top fifteen, top twenty, like they don't have that guy. So yeah. I just don't like to me. Their ceiling currently, uh, if everything goes right, is like a six seed that pushes Miami to six games in the first round. Like, and that's like their best case scenario. And their worst case is kind of what we're seeing, which is they're several games under 500 and they might not even sniff the playing tournament. So uh, I think for them to, to, to rebuild and, and you know look for that franchise guy, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. It's just interesting to me because that's not a direction the Pacers have ever gone historically. Yeah, and it, it is interesting. You mentioned the idea that you expected them to be better. Honestly, like their underlying numbers expect them to be better. They have a 1.6 net rating, which is to say they've outscored their opponent by 1.6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, typically, that would be commensurate with like a winning record, you know, something like two or three games over 500 at this point in the season. And the fact that they are sitting at 10 and 16 is largely a result of the fact that they've just been disastrous in close games. I think that there's something like 3 and 12 in games decided by like six points or something like that. So 
it's tough to try and nail down why that would be the case, but I feel like end-of-game scenarios, so much of it comes down to being able to have a guy who can get a clean look and who can knock down a shot when defenses tighten up. And look, like all due respect to Karis LeVert, all due respect to guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Demonis Sabonis, I think they're all really good players. Like Malcolm Brogdon is worth the $24 million a year that he's going to get paid. Uh, mm-hmm. Demonis Sabonis is worth his deal. Uh, Karis LeVert, I think, is worth his deal at $17, 18000000 million a year. They aren't like the guy on a roster like they might be able to make a key shot at the end of a game but I don't know that I count on any of those guys to do it consistently so it's almost like understandable to me that they're in this position and then on top of it new coach and Rick Carlisle who I would imagine does have like a fairly strong voice just given uh Rick Carlisle's you know history within the league his stature within the NBA I would imagine that the inclusion of his voice has led to some real conversations regarding where this organization is going. Herb Simon, their owner, I believe is 87 years old. He has resisted throughout the course of his career uh, owning the Pacers, a situation where he wants to totally rebuild. I'll be surprised if it goes down the direction of like, them being just disastrous for this year in next year and into the future. And on top of it, they have Kevin Pritchard, who has been around for a while at this point. And uh, I think that finally they've decided to make a move. So I I guess that like, let's just kind of talk about a few fake trades here before we uh, move on from the Pacers. My number one favorite idea for the Indiana Pacers is consummating a trade with San Antonio Spurs involving Demonis Sabonis. I think that that would just be such a fun pairing for the Spurs. They have a need at the center position as much as I like Jakob Pertl and think that he's a terrific defensive center. I think that they could use more firepower from their front court offensively. Mm-hmm. They obviously have a glut of perimeter players. In guys like DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, uh, Josh Primo, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, uh, Trey Jones. Like, I think I've, I'm even missing one or two, to be honest. Uh, there just seems to be a real potential lining up of assets and need for the Spurs and then for the Pacers. They can kind of pick and choose what they want their rebuild to look like based on what they want from the Pacers. Like, if they're willing to go more down a long-term road of rebuilding, you take something like Josh Primo, who has, like, a really high upside. You take the Suns' 2022 first-round pick. You take the Thaddeus Young deal to salary match or whatever. And then maybe you get one more asset. If they want to go and try and make this a bit of a quicker turn, maybe you take someone like Keldon Johnson, who's averaging 15 points a game and shooting 40% from three as a... 21 or 22 year old and you know hope that he can contribute within the next year or two to a potential playoff team i just think there are so many options there that 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 kind of deal just lines up and makes sense to me on a number of levels yeah yeah i I think uh you know first and foremost you you have to i think you have to trade demontis like to me if, if you're going down this road uh unless I mean, you got to explore what you could get for Miles Turner and what you can get um, for for Karis LeVert. But 
you're going to get the biggest return, in my opinion, for DeMontis Sabonis, right? And yeah. uh, I think, and, and like again, unless you can make some type of move where you think you can remain competitive and, and you know maybe take a jump trading one of those guys for something that uh, maybe a, you know a player, a, a team is undervaluing, uh, I, I think you, you have to start with Sabonis and, and, and then go from there. Uh, but it's tricky then because he's your best player. So, how, you know, if you don't want to fully rebuild and, and go down that road of being a 20, 25 win team, like it, it's hard to find that balance. Uh, but I, I like that trade. It's funny too, because I kind of view the Pacers as like, uh, you know, I compared them to the Jazz historically, but they kind of remind me of those, the Spurs the last few years <laughs> yeah, uh, until they yeah. got rid of DeRozan, where it was like, and DeRozan. You know, we've seen what he's doing in Chicago, so I, I don't want to like undersell how good he is. Um, but I, I think it, it was kind of like eight to ten deep, you know, really just solid team. But you didn't have that top twenty twenty five guy who's going to lead you to, uh, you know, a, a series win, let alone uh, you know contention. So yeah. uh, I think that they're both kind of in, in or you know, the, the, the Pacers are where the Spurs were like a year ago, and yeah. and now they have to make that tough decision of. What direction are we going to go? And, and you saw, you know, Lamarcus went to the Nets, and now Tamar went to Chicago, and like uh, the, the Spurs are at the bottom of the West. But uh, I, I think that they are probably on a, a better path than the Pacers are currently to getting back to contention. So, uh, and and now they can make a move for for Sabonis and and maybe uh, jump up a couple spots in the West, uh, depending on who they give up. So I, I like that deal for both sides. I, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, I, if I'm the Pacers, I push for Dejounte Murray. If I'm the Spurs, that's where I, I draw the line in the sand yeah. and say I'm not giving up Dejounte Murray. So, uh, but you, you get me, you give me uh, Dejounte Murray and, and Demontis Sabonis. It's a pretty good foundation uh, in their mid twenties. You know, heading into uh, their, their respective primes. Yeah, I, I agree. I can't give up uh, Dejounte Murray in that deal. He's been awesome to start the year. He's so good. <laughs> he's he's really taken a leap. Like I don't uh, think enough people have recognized how good Dejounte Murray has been uh, to start this season. The other deal that makes a little bit of sense to me is I wonder if you could get Miles Turner to Charlotte in a deal involving PJ Washington because as okay. we literally just watched last night, I mean Joel Embiid just annihilated them. Uh, he absolutely blew them apart. He had 43 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists. It was the most dominant. Uh, I think I maybe have seen a player play this season so far. And look, Mason Plumley is out right now. Like they, they didn't really have like a great option to slow him down. But even when Mason Plumley's in, I, I, I don't know that I've yeah, liked what I've... Yeah, seen from him uh, as an interior defender this season. You go out and you get Miles Turner, it fits within their offensive scheme because they really like to play five out because Miles can shoot. And then defensively, uh, he would significantly upgrade what has been, in my opinion, one of the worst interior defenses in the NBA this season. So something around Miles Turner for P.J. Washington and another asset, that, that feels like another deal that... Uh, makes a lot of sense to me personally is the Pacers kind of look around exploring what deals are out there for their core pieces. I like that one too, because I, I just think he, he fits, as you said, the five out uh, he, he has that length and athleticism that I think the, the Hornets really need. And I, I'm, I'm high on, on miles Turner still. Like I, I think yep. he's one of those guys that has needed a change of scenery for a while. And, and I, I've been like, which contender is going to step in and, and you know 
nab him and, and have him you know play a big because I I think he just I know he hasn't you know he hasn't been the most consistent player and um, he hasn't necessarily developed into what he was drafted to be but at the same time I I think there there are those flashes that you see and i think just in general he's better and more productive than people give him credit for and there's kind of been this perception of him that he you know because he hasn't lived up to that people just don't value what he actually is and and what he actually does uh but that again that length that athleticism the ability to stretch the floor uh and and just i think he's a really talented guy so uh if i were the hornets or or someone else i would you know, that that's a guy that you can get for a, a much cheaper price than a DeMontis Sabonis. So yeah. uh, I'd be targeting Miles and, and trying to get him uh, for a, a team that needs a center. Yeah, you know, Miles Turner, it's interesting. Like, when he's going, like, when he really has it moving, I think there are not 10 better defensive players or 10 more impactful defensive players in the NBA. Uh, he is a monster on the interior. He's gotten really good at playing drop coverage defensively. Yeah, uh, I really am a believer in Miles Turner as well. I think that uh, a team that is in need of a center could really do well by exploring a potential Turner move. And to be honest, like a, a team that has kind of been interesting to me in regard to Miles Turner, like the Lakers weirdly do have yes. the salary matching to make that work. Uh it would help on a yeah. number of levels. That would help a lot. <laughs> his ability to space the floor would really yeah. open up a lot of their lineups with Russell Westbrook as well. Uh, they could play mm-hmm. Miles Turner and Anthony Davis together very easily. Uh, Talon Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn gets you there salary wise. Uh, they would have to add some assets somehow that I don't... What one of the picks they don't have? <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be tricky. The, the Pacers would really have to love Taylor Horton Tucker for that to work. Which, you know... Taylor I mean, Horton Tucker... He just Tucker, turned 21. You, know, you yeah. don't know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a dream for... Because then you, you start Miles and AD and then you just platoon... The, you know, you basically keep one of them on the floor and I think from there basically play... You know, you'll play your first and third quarter shifts with with those two together, and then yeah. the rest of the game is just one of those two at the five. And uh, you, you, yeah, that, that's I, I like that a lot. I, that was the, like a sneaky one. I, I you know I wasn't sure if I what we wanted to touch on just because I, I do think you have to love Talon, and I don't think if he was playing the way he played the first three games of the season, right. yeah, like that guy was averaging you know twenty three a game and looked really good. Uh, but but since then he he's kind of fallen off offensively, and um, I, I think still you're looking for that consistency that he hasn't really showed yet. So, um, I mean, who knows? He, he, again, he just turned 21. Uh, he has shown those flashes where, uh, maybe you can talk yourself into that, but I think if I'm trading miles Turner, I probably want a little more. I think I agree with you on that. Uh, I'm trying to think of other teams. I mean, it's, it's tricky. I mean, honestly, the Spurs, like maybe they could have interest in Turner over Sabonis. Uh, it's a, it's interesting. I mean, like this. Uh, I don't know Portland. Like I know. I mean, yeah. they have Nurkic, but I feel like they, they're just kind of a team that need. Like they need to change something there. And I, I know we weren't going to touch on Portland too much, but because <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot to touch on. But uh, the marathon they, I mean, just podcast team that, I recorded last week was uh, or earlier this week. I was just like, you know, like do I really need to do more of this? <laughs> I just remember, like, because, you know, I, I covered the Lob City Clippers, and yeah. it feels like 
Portland, and, and you can make a case like even Utah is kind of in this mix as well, where uh, Utah is better than Portland, obviously. But uh, with, with the last couple of years of Lob City, it was just like th- there have been some rumors of like, are they going to trade DJ or like, is it, you know, right. th- they had that great record and, and that great stretch without Blake when it was just Chris, DJ, pick and roll. And it was like, do the Clippers flip Blake for something and right. just go all in on the, on the Chris, DJ, pick and roll. And like, they never did that. And, and ultimately, Chris just left to Houston and uh, that you know, situation dissolved. But I, I do wonder with the Portland situation, like if they are really committed to, we want to keep Dame, we want to keep him happy, we want to build at, at least a team that has a shot. Because I, I think that's currently constructed. They're a one and done in the first round. Like they're yeah. losing in four or five games, whoever they play. Um, I, I, you know, and not, not to say that Nurkic necessarily is the problem, but I do think Turner is a better defender and uh, it is you know the type of de- like the type of guy that might be able to correct a lot of Damon CJ's limitations on that end. So that's one. And now, if you're Indiana, I don't know. You know, why would you want Nurkic necessarily compared to Turner? Like, well, well, maybe maybe I, the I mean, move they're, they're is clo- they're close, but maybe the yeah, move is CJ. Like you do something yeah. like CJ and something else for Karis Levert and Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wonder if that. That could work, yeah. No, so I, I, I just think I just think it might be a situation where like you got to mix something up because the status quo just isn't working anymore. The the last team I want to mention for Miles Turner, uh, the Warriors would be terrifying with him. Yeah, the Warriors would be utterly terrifying, and so that's what Wiseman and <sighs> yeah, are maybe you giving up Wiseman in that. You, you kind of have. I think you have to, right? I don't think that the Warriors would want to. Uh, and, I don't think they would either. But. I'll say this: like, if they wanted to do Moses Moody and Kaminga, like, I, I don't think the Pacers would get a better offer for Turner. I, okay, I, I'd That's probably fair. just rather move Wiseman if I'm them. And honestly, if you're the Pacers and yeah. you're getting James Wiseman for Miles Turner, like, are you? I don't. I don't know. That you're getting a better deal than that, to be honest. Yeah. Just given the upside that. Uh, that James Wiseman possesses. You know, I had Anthony Slater on the podcast last week, and he said that ownership with the Warriors is still very, very committed to James Wiseman, and he would be stunned if they moved him. I think the Warriors have other assets that they could move in a deal for Miles Turner if they really wanted to do so. Um, like I said, like I, if you go out and you get Moses Moody and something else for Miles Turner... I don't know that you're doing a whole lot better than that. Uh, you go out and you get Jonathan Kaminga for Miles Turner. I don't think you're probably not doing better than that. Maybe, maybe something with like depending on if you like PJ Washington more. I can see that, but the Warriors have the assets to where if they really wanted to take a swing for Miles Turner and they really wanted to include James Wiseman. I think they probably win the title if they get Miles Turner because you're oh, yeah. talking about having a stretch yeah. five that is elite defensively mixing with Draymond green. Uh, yeah. Th- that's, that's a terrifying, like that starting lineup is then uh, Stephen Curry, you know, one of Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins, depending on what you want to do there. Uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond green and miles Turner. And like, I, I don't know how anyone scores on them. And then they're going to be absolutely elite <laughs> offensively at that point. I mean, I, I'm uh, I actually I like Kevon Looney. I think that uh, he he's like he he just does all the little things that yeah. 
don't necessarily translate uh, in, in a box score, but going from Kevon Looney to Miles Turner is uh, quite the upgrade. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean, and we don't, we still don't know. Like, I think everyone loves to throw out, and you know better than anybody, like the Wiseman ceiling and, and sort of the DeAndre Ayton comparison and, and some of the yeah. development that DeAndre made last season. But we don't know that James Wiseman is going to become that. And I, I kind of view like the Warrior situation as like, um, you know, I know they've talked about being sustainable and contending for the next 20 years. And like, well, first off, Steph's not playing the next 20 years. So right. you have that window of, five years like i i don't know like how long is steph steph like uh, and and you know we, he has the early career injury history so you don't know like when that stuff pops up again if it ever does but like you look at a guy like steve nash and, and how elite he was deep into his 30s like i, I guess that's like the blueprint for steph yeah but I, I do think um and i i think you know as we transition into the lakers like the lakers kind of tried to to go all in uh in the short term and it hasn't quite worked this season but i do think when you have a a championship level team and you have a a shorter window like you know would you rather have james wiseman in 2027 or like miles turner right now and like almost lock in you're the favorite and of course you got to stay healthy and like you know yeah other teams can make moves that that change that dynamic but to me um if I'm the, if it came down to that, I think if I'm the Warriors, I would do that. I get why they wouldn't. I, I get the the hype on Wiseman. I I, yeah. I see it. I, I like him, but um, I do think that's the type of move that you know the Warriors are right there with the Suns, with, with the Nets, the Bucks. Like I think they're at that level where they could win a title as is. But you get Miles Turner. I think to me, you, you probably are the favorites with, with the way things have played out uh, thus far. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, Miles Turner is 25. Like he's yeah. not old. You can sign him to an extension next year and you can have him for you know, three or four more years and you're in a very good place organizationally. But yeah, let's move to the Lakers. What a what a start to the year uh, for the Lakers! What, is, what a year! <laughs> so let's uh, let's just set the table here, and before I okay. let you kind of go, having been around the team as much as you've been, uh, you are going to be able to explain this much better than I can. So they are twelve and twelve right now. They have a negative one point six net rating, which is twenty second in the NBA. They have played, according to Basketball Reference, the fourth easiest schedule in the NBA. They have also had a lot of absences due to injury, due to COVID. Uh, It it seems like it's been kind of hard to nail down what the lineup is going to look like night to night in Los Angeles. So I'll just give you the floor. I mean, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Uh, Well, well, this stat will, uh, I think, kind of sums up the Lakers season. LeBron James has yet to play four consecutive games this season which is just absurd. And uh, they still have the issue, not, not as bad this season. Uh, actually, the, the Russ and AD have, have kind of started to figure out their chemistry where uh, you know the, their two-man game ha- has been better and it's kind of been the foundation of those non-LeBron lineups. But you know, going back to the last two seasons, the Lakers have really struggled whenever LeBron's been off the floor. They've been you yeah. know double-digit negative net rating. Uh, so it, it's been better this season, but having LeBron miss half the season, like it... it I mean, that to me ultimately is why they're 12 and 12. I think if LeBron plays 
in every game or, or even half of those games. We're looking at a team that's what 15 and 9, 16 and 8, something like that. Uh, yeah. So I, I do think they've dropped some games that they otherwise would have won had LeBron not been there. And it's hard to, like, I, I don't ju- personally, I don't judge this team when LeBron is out because I'm just like, if LeBron's out, this team is losing in the first round. Like, this team yeah. might not make the play. Like, you know, depending on how long he's out, they might not even make the playoffs. So I, I don't really judge them too much when LeBron is out. Uh, now, that being said, a, a big reason why they've stated they got Russell Westbrook was for those non LeBron. You know, Games. if LeBron wants to take a night off or whenever he's off the floor, we solve it this way. And as I said, it's gotten better, but they still have dropped game. I mean, they lost to the Thunder twice without <laughs> LeBron, right? And and not only lost to them, but blew a yeah. 19 point lead and a 26 point lead in embarrassing fact. I mean, it was just awful. And and uh, so they've had some really bad uh, losses like that. Yeah. And uh, I think the biggest thing, and you touched on it, like with the injuries, the role changes, like. DeAndre Jordan has gone from starting to backup center to out of the rotation to back to starting to back to out of the rotation. And like you can go kind of guy by guy. And there's only a few guys who have really had consistent roles this season. Uh, like Kent Bazemore started the first, you know, 10 plus games and then has not played, you know, basically any the last like five, seven games uh, has barely played. So I think you can kind of go down the list of like they're still figuring out what is our starting lineup who are our nine guys that we trust. And two of those guys are still out. You know, Trevor Ariza was the projected starter. Uh, the, the Lakers ideally wanted to go with Anthony Davis at center, Ariza and LeBron at the two forward spots and, and go with the smaller lineup. But Trevor's missed the entire season. Now you got Kendrick Nunn, who was their technically their biggest addition financially. Now I know like uh, signing wise, like obviously Russ, but uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn was their uh, taxpayer mid-level exception guy that they signed to that, you know, five point, six five point nine million whatever it was uh and the the splashiest free agency edition and he hasn't played yet for them as well and he was kind of supposed to be that sixth seventh man for them off the bench so they have two key guys that are supposed to factor into the rotation that have yet to even play uh so it's tough to judge them but at the same time they should not be 12 and 12 with the slate that they've had like even with lebron missing time yeah they should have won those two thunder games that, that you know, I could probably look at the schedule right now and give you another couple games they should have won. So even with LeBron out, this is a team that should probably be sixteen and eight. And, and then factoring in the other guys coming back, like so, it, it's just uh, it's really interesting to see kind of where their season goes because it, it also feels like there's always one step forward, two steps back. Where they'll win a couple games, it'll look really good, and then they drop the game to the Clippers, where like they just you know couldn't defend in crunch time and, and got picked apart with the same set over and over again you know paul george having luke Kennard screen from him and then kind of you know popping flaring right diving like it just they couldn't defend that action and uh that's been kind of their thing is like they're in a bunch of these crunch time situations but when they get into crunch time they can't get the stops that they need to get they can score lebron russ ad like and that's been my thing like i, I think they're gonna figure that out they kind of have figured it out uh, even though the numbers don't, they're actually better defensively, which is hilarious to me. Because yeah, like, watching them, you wouldn't think that. Yeah. But they're better defensively than offensively. But uh, to me, it's been in crunch time, they can't get stops. And, and that's kind of something they're going to have to figure out. Yeah, the the whole project here is fascinating because <laughs> I don't know how not to overreact to this right now. 
while also knowing that I shouldn't overreact because you're 100% right. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I think that one thing that's helped them defensively is taking Bays more out of the rotation because he was just like a Tasmanian devil of missed rotations and fouls. Uh, yeah. Like, it was a significant problem, it felt like to me. Uh it feels like Anthony Davis, you know, as he's been healthy, has just been anchoring the defense at a level that has been remarkably high. The other thing that is really interesting to me, though, is that, like, this team is playing fast. Like, they're playing at pace, and that's obviously, like, the Russell Westbrook edition. And what everyone was very curious about was how the Lakers would stylistically look in terms of speed this season. I mean, part of this is I think that LeBron has been out and when LeBron is in the game, they do, I think, generally like to play a little bit slower, Mm -hmm. but they're second in the NBA in pace right now, which feels Mm -hmm. like something I didn't even expect. Like, I didn't think the Russ edition would have that big of an impact on how often they're trying to get out and play at pace. Do you really think that like the... Is that has that been an emphasis, I guess, of the coaching staff to play at pace, or is it a situation where just the addition of Russell Westbrook has so drastically altered the composition of the team that you know they've they came into the season wanting to do one thing and then they have to do something else totally? It, it, it's been a combination of both, but I, I do think it, it is very like the, the Lakers. Their identity the past couple years has been an elite defensive team that thrives in transition like you remember their championship season uh they were they were top two in basically every transition category you know points per possession fast break points like so on and so forth uh and you know that was kind of their identity where it was like uh defensively they they were a top three defense and they had the length and rim protection of javel and dwight in some units and then they downsize and go with keefe or ad at the five and have these smaller kind of five out units uh but the identity was rotate, scramble, play hard defensively, force turnovers, get out and transition. And then if you have to play in the half court, well, fortunately you have LeBron James <laughs> and Anthony Davis to, to kind of solve those issues uh, for really what was not a great offensive group, you know, around those guys, but you had some shooting KCP, Danny green, Keith, uh, the playoff Rondo, ultimately Alex Caruso. Like, so you had enough guys to kind of make it work last season. Uh, they actually were better defensively even though on paper that the group was probably worse uh but they just they didn't have the, the same level of athleticism and the same commitment to getting out uh in, in transition so i think frank vogel said it heading into the season like part of it was just lakers basketball is we, we need to generate easier offense in transition with our defense and, and that's just yeah. kind of part of our brand but another big part of that is russell westbrook and, and he is someone that uh, in an open court is just so much better than in a half court setting. So I think he kind of fit what they were trying to do. The issue has been they're awful on the perimeter defensively and have really been carried by LeBron and AD and Dwight uh, with, with, with the you know their rim protection and, and paint defense. And so you know you've kind of seen them really struggle to contain the ball to navigate uh you know off ball screens to uh just really stop picking like ball handlers kind of get whatever they want against the lakers in pick and roll situations so uh you know they've tried to switch a bit they've tried a two three zone and like that stuff works for a little bit until defenses figure it out and again so i just looked it up like 
looking at their their uh crunch time numbers like they are better offensively than defensively that's where it flips is in yeah. crunch time where they they really struggle and you you've seen i mean it's funny like uh if i were a laker fan i'd be having like a heart attack almost every game because if you look at their box score like just look at their schedule and go game by game almost every game has come down to some level of crunch time and it's it's just insane yeah. where yeah. like it's either they get blown out you know they've had some blowout losses boston uh phoenix and like a, a few others or it comes down to crunch time it's just like are the lakers going to i mean so it, it's been it's been a crazy season but I, I do think that the pace thing is something frank was preaching last season and, and was a big point of emphasis that they weren't as good in transition last season and but that's just the way russ has to play because in the half court we know his limitations we, we know the turnovers the, the lack of shooting the lack of gravity and uh you, you've seen that at times with him but uh he had i mean it's just insane how much of a a force he is in transition and, and how he can lift the team up because lebron as you said lebron doesn't like to play fast lebron prefers his teams historically are around league average if not even slower uh, in terms of pace LeBron doesn't love that, but with Russ, that this is kind of the sacrifice you have to make. Do you think that we've gotten enough evidence so far to learn anything about how it's going to work in half court settings? Like you said, we have played, uh, we've seen the Lakers a lot in crunch time. They've played a lot of minutes in crunch time so far. Some of those games have been with LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. Have we seen enough about how they're going to try and operate in those late game settings offensively with all three of those guys on the court? Because to me, that that's really going to be the telltale thing of their season. How do they make these late game playoff situations work with Russell Westbrook kind of playing, frankly, off the ball? Because the most yeah. devastating action that any team in the NBA can run, point blank period, in my opinion, is a LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll. Yeah, so we, I guess to, to answer your question, we we haven't figured. I mean, they, they haven't figured it out, right? And, yeah. and we we've seen flash. It, you know, what one interesting thing that happened earlier in the season was, um, you know, uh, against Memphis. It was the I believe the third game of the season. They ran this LeBron Russ pick and roll mm-hmm. down the stretch of that game, and uh, one, you, you know, uh, what I think it was the second time they ran it. I, I want to say uh, Russ. You know, Le- LeBron hits Russ in the short roll, and all of a sudden Russ is going downhill, full head of steam. You know, catching it around the free throw line. It takes a couple dribbles. Stephen Adams is defending AD, who's on the weak side block. Stephen Adams rotates. What does Russ do? Dump off pass. AD gets a dunk and one. And like that to me is like you can't do that every possession, but like that is the the kind right. of you know symbiosis that you want to see from those three where it's like you know leveraging lebron as a pick and roll threat as a ball handler as as just a playmaker give russ a simple responsibility screen roll you know either make a play at the rim or hit ad with a dump off pass which you're really good at ad finish it you know that boom 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 uh now again you now another i think the very next possession they run the same action uh and you know LeBron and LeBron ends up rolling as well like after he gives it up to Russ and then him and AD cut into each other and like Russ just throws a turnover and it's like okay so you got to figure out the timing with that and there's a pace to it but I would like to see more of that because I think you kind of made your bed with Russell Westbrook where like you you just can't put him off the ball like it's hard to put him off the ball and he still has not changed and bought in fully to screening and cutting and doing these little things that ideally you would like him to do so 
if you have to involve him, then make him the screener. You know, make him treat him like a big because that's kind of his shooting range, right? And right. and make you know leverage his playmaking in that way. I'd like to see more of that. Um, again, I think the offense kind of figures itself out. I think that those three guys are just so talented that um, we've seen a lot of Russ AD pick and roll. We have seen some LeBron AD pick and roll. Uh, again, I'd like to see more Russ LeBron. But to me, it's the defensive end where this team has a roster construction issue. And yeah. it's that they're because of Russ, because of once you went the Russ path, you have to play smaller. Like all the lineup data shows it that. It's, and it's not even just playing smaller. It's it's playing really with one big where yes. like Dwight, for example, you look at Dwight by himself versus Dwight with AD and the on off numbers are way worse with Dwight and AD versus just Dwight by himself with AD. It's obvious, you know, AD is a center. He needs to play by himself and DeAndre just hasn't been that good this season. But like, so if I'm the Lakers, like I, you really need to commit to AD as a starting center. Dwight is the backup. DeAndre is like break in case of emergency. Uh, but the issue that they've kind of faced and, and Frank Vogel has been pretty candid about is like they don't have a lot of rangy wings that can right. switch and, and protect the, you know, protect the paint in a pinch and like get a defensive rebound. And you've seen playing a Malik Monk. Well, OK, he's going to get lost on the screen or he's going to get he's not going to help on this rotation. Right. He's not going to box out and get the rebound like, the, the, you know, the, there's a reason why. Charlotte gave up on Malik Monk. Uh, Carmelo Anthony has never been a defender, and and at his you know late thirties, like he, he he tries sometimes, and he'll get some swipes and, and some steals, but like he's not a great you know he's not going to rotate. He, he's not going to you can't really defend one on one. So like there's ways to pick on the Lakers perimeter guys other than LeBron and AD that they just losing Alex Crusoe, losing KCP, losing Kyle Kuzma. Like they yeah. now have all these holes on the perimeter that. They just haven't been able to solve. And I think that's that's the one. Th- and that's maybe where Trevor Ariza, and you don't want to put too much on a 37-year-old you know, wing, but I think Trevor Ariza just being that body can help them in those situations. Uh, but to me, like they're a team that might need, they don't have a lot of moves to make, but right. it might have to be flipping tail and Horton Tucker for some type of two-way wing that, or at least a more of a defensive-minded wing that you can trust in crunch time. Because as of right now, I know they're going to close with AD, LeBron, and Russ. I can't tell you who the two other guys. I mean, sometimes it's been mellow, but there's some defensive issues there, obviously. Malik, Taylor, like, they just don't have those two other guys that they can really rely on. And until they solve that, I think it's a glaring issue. Well, and the craziest thing is they lost three of their best perimeter defenders in a single summer. Like, they decided yeah. to sign Taylor Horton Tucker over Alex Caruso, essentially. Uh, they could have retained both, but it seemed like there may have been like a financial component there that they just didn't want to exceed yeah. uh, due to the punitive nature of the luxury tax. But, you know, Alex Caruso signs a four year, $36 million deal and looks like a first team all defense guy so far this year. And Taylor Horton Tucker has been fine. Like he had a good first three games after he got healthy. And then afterward has not been very good, but uh, it's, if you're trying to win a title now, I don't know how you come to the conclusion that you'd rather have Taylor Horton Tucker versus Alex Caruso. Uh, and then on top of it, you obviously lose KCP and Kyle Kuzma, who by the way, Kyle Kuzma made some real strides defensively over the course of his last couple years in Los Angeles. Yeah. And he's looked pretty good so far for Washington defensively as well. Obviously, Contavious Caldwell Pope is a very good defender as well. Losing three of those guys in a single offseason and replacing them with Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, 
Kendrick Nunn, who, by the way, is not going to help the defense. Uh, frankly, like Austin Reeves uh, until his hamstring I like injury. Reeves, yeah, but, like Austin yeah. Reeves is, I think. But been, you're, you're relying on an undrafted rookie at that point. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. And like I liked Austin Reeves. Like I had him as a top 35 guy in that draft. But at the same token, again, you're relying on an undrafted rookie. And that feels dangerous whenever you come down to big moments in the playoffs as confident as Austin Reeves is and as uh, you know fearless as he seems to be and as smart as he seems to be as a player, it's not an ideal situation. So I agree with you. Like I, I think they need to go out and make a move. Uh, they need to go out and get someone who can help them on the perimeter defensively, or they could go the other way and they could go and try and get like a Miles Turner, but they would need that guy to be able to shoot at the center position. They would need... A legitimate which, yeah, th- three and D centers don't grow on trees exactly. <laughs> they don't, which makes it hard. So there's really one I, I would argue yeah. <laughs> uh, that could potentially that be moved in to deadline <laughs> in Miles Turner. And the good news is that that guy may have just come available for the Lakers, yeah. and they might be able to, you know, involve a third team, do something weird like that, where they can make up the difference between Taylor Horton Tucker and Miles Turner, but. Yeah, like, and I I think like they're a team that if I'm a buyout wing, like I'm targeting the Lakers of like I could have a giant role in that team. The problem is wings rarely get bought out, and you just look at the buyout market. I mean, historically, it it just rarely pans out where that player makes an actual difference. And I mean, you could count the like PJ Brown and uh, you know Lamarcus and Blake had some moments with the Nets, and and if that team was healthier, maybe they won a title. And and we're talking about those guys like PJ Tucker helped Milwaukee, like. he was bought out, right? I believe. Uh, I think so. PJ Tucker was bought out. PJ right? was traded I, last year for was he, was like traded? a second okay, round right. pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, like Lakers had Andre Drummond, and and that situation uh, <laughs> went horribly. So <laughs> I think like the truth is like buyout guys rarely help, and then they're also at least recently have have tended to be bigs, and yeah. you know, like the buyout market last year was Drummond, Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge. Like, uh, so uh, I don't think that necessarily you know, help like, again, you're not finding a miles Turner on the buyout market. So, uh, unless like one guy I was interested in w- with them going back to last season was Dwayne Dedman. And, uh, hmm. I mean, he, he clearly is limited, but like he fits that profile of like a guy who can theoretically protect the rim and, and, and stretch a defense. But, uh, you know, he, he's in Miami and I just don't, I don't know. I, I think like to your point, it, it is, if you're going to go the big route and it seems Frank is, is kind of lean that way because of the, the defense and the rebounding, you need better bigs uh, yeah. th- than Dwight and, and DeAndre. Uh, and, and ideally, one of them could shoot, as you said. But if you're going the smaller route, which I think is, is probably their preferred route, you need bigger wings. And they just don't. I mean, if you look at their rotation, they have a bunch of dudes in that like 6'3 to 6'5 range and most of them can't defend. And that right. is an issue. And it was kind of like, the Lakers lost two seasons uh, because they they had they shot historically poor. I think I want to say they shot like twenty eight percent in that Phoenix series, and it was like one of the worst figures ever for a, a six game series. And they went out and tried to solve that. Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kendrick Nunn, Carmelo Anthony, like they added some shooting, some legit shooting that they haven't had uh, the past couple of years. But then they created this defensive problem, and it was like. You're de- like you kind of had the formula of an elite defense with a middling offense that could be great in, in key moments because you had LeBron and AD, and all of a sudden, like you lean all the way in on offense when you're 22nd in offense, it hasn't really panned out. 
Right. Uh, but you, you create this offensive, you know, surplus of, of shooting, but you also created a massive defensive hole that just hasn't, you know, you, you just don't have the defenders and AD can only do so much. LeBron can only do so much. Uh, and I just don't like, I mean, I said, I, th- I thought their ceiling defensively was like 10th, but mm-hmm. at, with what we've seen, they might be lucky to get to 10 and, and right. I, I, you know, I, I don't really see that happening. So, uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of what they do because they don't have a lot of trade chips. It's really Taylor Kendrick and maybe you throw in Austin Reeves as a filler. If someone really likes him yeah. and is like, Hey, we can get this guy on the cheap, a, a potential rotation player. But like, I just I don't really see where that upgrade is coming from. Yeah, one name that stood out to me was Eric Gordon. I wonder he's another one of those smaller wings that you mentioned, like guys between six foot three and six foot five, right? But he is really good defensively, and he plays bigger than his size because of how strong he is. And mm-hmm. you could play him between Russell Westbrook and LeBron James pretty competently and confidently and feel like you're getting enough shooting, enough defense. I mean, look, though, like he's at $18 million a year or so for the next two years, and I don't know if that's a price point the Lakers will want to pay. I think I think Eric Gordon would really help them, to be honest. Like, to me, like, that's yeah. a move that makes sense for them. Like, if you... I could see it. I would explore other avenues first for the Taylor Horton Tucker contract, but, like, if it came down to it, I would move Taylor Orton Tucker for Eric Gordon and Kendrick Nunn. Like that actually gets you very close on the money. I, I don't know though. Like, I also think that it, it, too. Like if if they end up flipping Taylor, it's like why didn't you just keep Alex? I know, <laughs> you know? right? Like it's, tough. it's just like why? Like you're not you're probably not flipping Taylor for someone better than Alex. And and you've seen the way he's transformed Chicago's defense, and it's not just been. I mean, Lonzo's been a big part of that. Uh, even getting Demar and, and Zach to buy in, Vooch to buy in, Billy Donovan deserves credit as a coach. Uh, but Alex is just, you know, like there's something with guys on the Lakers where like they both get overhyped and undervalued at the same time. And I thought that's kind of what happened with Alex, where it was like because people, yeah, you know, b- b- because of the the you know the dunks in transition and stuff, like people that would go on Bleacher Report and ESPN and like it, House of Highlights, and uh, you know, people would kind of troll him and and not you know think he's getting too much hype because of that but then it it made him undervalued because the dude is what in my opinion one of the 10 best one of the 10 if not one of the five best perimeter defenders in the backcourt in the league and um his ability to defend multiple positions do all he does i mean it's cliche but he does all the little things he dives for loose balls he um always knows you know uh time and and your shot clock and how many fouls you have like he just does those little things that you want from a role player and and i honestly think he's he's better offensively than people give him credit for like he's developed into a average to above average three-point shooter uh he's a decent playmaker and and ball handler like you know not not great but you're not you know gonna uh, you know crumble out there offensively if he's running your second unit right so I, i think he has a lot of value and that to me I said it at the time and I still stand by it. Like that was a huge mistake on their part. Uh, yeah. and I know like friends don't want to hear that. And I don't, you know, I don't want to keep belaboring it. I think everyone has, has kind of talked about it ad nauseum that covers the Lakers, but I just think that the, you know, the more distance we have from it, it's just like clear and clear that, uh, put Alex Caruso on this team instead of Taylor and Horton Tucker. And I think they're a much better team, uh, with, with the way things have played out. 
Final question here. Where does this all go for the Lakers at this point? Because it feels it feels tough to really predict. Yeah, um I I want to say like I I, fi- I think like let me I should know this off the top of my head. I'm about to pull up the standings because they're still for as bad as they've been. I think the West not being great has yes. kind of done them some favors. Uh, so right now they're the, they're the sixth seed, uh, half game behind the Clippers for the five seed. And even Memphis has pulled is like sneakily pulled away. Uh, they're a couple of games up uh, on the four seed, uh, like as a four seed. But I, I want to say like, I, I think as as of right now, like I do think there's a, there's a scenario in which this is just a train wreck, and LeBron like continues to deal with injuries, and maybe someone else in the rotation goes down, and like this team's like in the play in tournament, and maybe even loses in the play. Like I, I think that's a real possibility. Um, I would say with the way things have played out, I would put them in in the four to six seed range. Yeah. I think they're going to stabilize in there. Again, granted health because if, if LeBron's out, they're, they're kind of screwed. Uh, so as, as long as LeBron is available and, and AD is available, I think they're going to end up in that four to six range. I think already Golden State, Phoenix, Utah have distanced themselves and they're just not going to be on that level. But uh, I think they're, to me, they're a team that wins in the first, like if they're in the four, I guess it depends who they play, but if they're four or five, I think they win that matchup. Six, you're probably playing Utah. I, I kind of like the AD versus Rudy Gobert matchup. Yeah. And and just think that they don't have a great matchup to defend LeBron, but I, I think Quinn Snyder is a really good coach. I, I think Utah is obviously a really good team, and I wouldn't be like shocked if they beat the Lakers, uh, especially with home court advantage. So I guess I would say, to me, probably four or five seed win the first round, and then you're in a really tough <laughs> matchup with Golden State or Phoenix in the second round. In which case, like as of right now, with everything we've seen. I would have to favor Golden State or Phoenix in that in that series. Now, I will say, I do think again, the Lakers have an advantage, and this is when they play smaller. Where like I just don't think I don't love any of those matchups defensively for those teams in you know Golden State, Phoenix, or Utah. I think Draymond's probably the, the guy who best matches up with, with AD, and yeah. he did a really good job against him in the playing tournament. But like. I think the Lakers were going to beat the Suns if AD did not go down. They were up 2-1. They had had a first-half lead in Game 4. AD goes down, and they lose that game. They lose the next three games, and they lose in the first round. Uh, I think if AD was healthy, they would have won that series, and we're talking like we're viewing kind of this whole situation a little bit differently uh, because, remember, you know, Denver's shorthanded, no Jamal Murray. Clippers yeah. don't have Kawhi, and you know, we're talking about a team like losing in the first round that maybe could have made the finals, and I think with the way Giannis was playing, with the way Milwaukee was playing, you, you maybe f- you favor the Bucks in that series, but that to me is is a similar kind of close six or seven game series, and you know maybe the Lakers win a second title, and we're just looking at them a lot differently. But eighty went down; they lost in the first round, and uh, I think that there's kind of a bitter taste in, in how we view the Lakers. So for me, like I, I do think they're a second round team right now, uh, but. I think they have the upside to win it all. I just think a lot has to go right. And Russ has to buy into stuff he's never bought into in his career. They have to find some upgrade either at center or on the wing. And that's easier said than done, especially when you have limited assets. So uh, right now I'd, I'd probably pick them to lose in the second round. But I think 
you could tell me they're the 10 seed and, and lose <laughs> it, it, the play in. And you could tell me they're the four seed and win the championship. And like, I would yeah. believe either outcome. It's just everything's on the table with this team. In my opinion, I think I agree with you on that. Totally. I think that the thing that I want most, like the road and the thing that I would just like to see most, I would like the Lakers to be the four seed, have a four or five matchup with the Clippers then move on to play Phoenix in the second round as the one seed. Then play Golden State in the Western Conference Finals as the two seed. I think that's probably what Adam Silver is rooting for as well. <laughs> because they're just storylines. We need a Golden State Lakers matchup. <laughs> yeah, like all three of those series, like that that's exactly what Adam Silver is wanting. And by the way, like I, I don't know that the Lakers get by any of those series, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that they would be guaranteed. There, I mean, Kawhi comes back. That's that's a tough. That's a. I mean, the Clippers <laughs> might be the best team in, in the West if Kawhi comes back, right? Yeah, I mean. They're, they're up there. I, I love the Clippers. I wish we had more time to talk about the Clippers because, good God, what a what a fun little, what a fun team. that they're, they're just like fighting and battling every single night. And Paul George is like a legitimate top five MVP guy, in my opinion. And uh, Ty Lue has coached his absolute ass off this season but man i have a, I have a quick one a for you what, 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 <laughs> what, what do you think of uh what do you think of the the hot seat and frank vogel and and some of the flack that he's caught Look. Is, is it dessert because i i don't think it i think it's been overblown Not and i'm like it, it, like like i think i think he, he like you always whenever you have a team that's underachieving some of it falls on the coach right and, and getting guys to buy in and like i think there's rotation things with him of continuing to play two bigs some of the the closing lineups that he's gone with and not adjusting late in games i think you can put on him but again we're talking about not resigning alex caruso we're, we're you know shifting the entire rotation for the third straight se- i mean this is the third straight season they basically have you know a brand new rotation brand new starting lineup brand new yeah. bench rotation and uh and then russell westbrook not being like a perfect like i think there's other characters to blame first uh before Frank, but it feels like his seat isn't hot and it's not necessarily warm, but the, the dial is turned up a little bit where, the, you know, the, there's been some, there's yeah. a lot of outside noise and pressure there. Yeah. Look, here, here's what I would say. You know, you, you, uh, you're, you're, you needed to play that a little bit uh, closer than I do. Uh, I, I would blame Rob Blinka more than I would blame Frank Vogel for these problems. Um, for all of the reasons you said, structurally, this roster is a mess defensively. Like, there's just not a way around it. Like, I don't know what they're supposed to do defensively to fix it with this current roster construction. Then you go out and you make the Russell Westbrook trade, moving high-level defenders within that trade. I think that, to me personally, for the situation the Lakers are in so far, 24 games, I believe, into the season... I put that on Rob Polinka more than I put that on Frank Vogel. Like you said, like Frank Vogel's made some choices. And at the end of the day, I would venture that Frank Vogel would be the person who would be the fall guy uh, for all of yeah. this. Like it's much more likely that um, Frank Vogel ends up being the one that would be fired if it would ever come to that. But I think that it's very, very, very premature, very premature to put this at the feet of Frank Vogel. Yeah. And 
to, to be clear, I, I'm not putting the blame on anybody. I'm just saying I, I think yes, I yes, think yes. I think there's I, I just think that there's multiple there's multiple things to blame and yeah. I, I wouldn't put Frank first and foremost. I, I would he's in the mix, but I would probably put him closer to like fourth. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. But you know what? You're the coach of a LeBron James, you know, led team. The mm-hmm. sword almost always comes down on that guy. And if a change is, you know, if they decide that there needs to be a shakeup and given the construction of this roster, it's going to be hard to do like a very real roster shakeup on a situation like this, just given the construction of the salaries. I mean, look, like, I don't know that I would be blown away by like Frank Vogel, like if it continues to go this way uh, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we look up in February and they're sitting here at... You know, 22 and 24, even though they're still like the eight seed in the West, because the West is just like a big mishmash of teams uh, in that four to 11 range. I don't know that I'd be blown away by the Lakers making a move, but I don't think I would agree with that move either. Like you said, like, I don't think that it's I don't think it's on Frank Vogel at this point. And I think like, I mean, you can make the case like, sure, maybe you want a more of like a. Mike D'Antoni esque offensive mind at the, at the helm that can kind of maximize some of these pieces, but I also think you can make the counter argument like I'd want a defensive coach that can ma- can try to make something out yeah. of this group defensively, and and even you know Rob Plink had kind of said that heading into the season, which I, I found a very interesting comment of like someone asked like you, you guys did lose a lot of perimeter depth and and, and talent defensively like. You know, are, are you confident you guys will remain an elite defense? And he was like, well, we have Frank Vogel and you see his system last two years. We've been top three defensively. Like we're confident Frank can find a way to make this in uh, an elite defense. And that kind of felt like putting some pressure on Frank of like, yeah. if you, you know, we're saying publicly that we believe in your, your defensive scheme and, and that you can do this uh, when I, I think kind of objectively looking at it, it wasn't. I mean, they're not like this was not a top three defensive group in, in any form or fashion, right? Like, so uh, it's interesting, but I, I think I'm with like we're in agreement here. I, I don't think it's on Frank, and I think it would be a mistake to fire him. But uh, I do think that if they continue to underachieve, it, it's heading that way. Jovan, tell the people where they can find you on all of the various social media platforms. Tell the people where they can find you uh, and your work. Yeah, so you can find me at Yovan Buha on all social platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, for those of you who are who are on it. Uh, <laughs> Yovan made a pitch for me earlier to join TikTok. I think I'm in. I'm, I'm trying I to get I'm this guy it. on it. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, if, if you enjoy TikTok, I'm on there uh, producing NBA content. And then uh, be sure to read my work on The Athletic and, and look out for Stargazing, which is coming out December 19th. Uh, which is a Sunday, and it will be every Sunday after that for for ten weeks. Uh, so we we have some exciting guests, and uh, just yeah, it's also going to be on YouTube. So so look out for the Athletics YouTube channel on that. But um, thank you guys for listening, and uh, Sam, thank you for having me on. 
Yovan's the best, guys. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the Game Theory Podcast. Please also go subscribe to that YouTube channel. Uh, you're going to get a lot of really great content. You're going to get to see Yovan's face and terrific hairline, <laughs> as well as my like disastrous hairline. So please go subscribe to that YouTube channel. Uh, I will have a couple of things coming this week. I think written-wise, we're going to write about the Pacers and then uh, write, I think, a little bit about some upper-class NBA draft prospects. I will also have a podcast coming uh, released on Friday with Matt Penny, our typical NBA draft centric show. Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye.